the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into hour three. Got my audio okay? We're doing all right? All right, good. As we head into hour three this Friday, it's a delight to do so as per custom and usual with Rabbi Pinchas Alush. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, in Scottsdale on Shea Boulevard. All are welcome, religious or not, Jewish or not, practicing or not. Uh, in any way, shape, or form. In fact, young David went there last Friday and had a wonderful time at your congregation, Rabbi. That's right. It was such a pleasure having you, David, to many more. <laughs> you had a good time, yeah. You told I loved it. it. Yeah, you, you, told, you told us all about it. There was dancing and food and drinking. Maybe well, not so much uh, maybe dancing. Not dancing. Maybe, maybe well, not so much I, I didn't dance, but yeah, there was <laughs> yeah. dancing, actually. There was. We did do some dancing. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David takes dance lessons. He's also the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, uh, on Apple pa- Podcasts, A L L O U C H E, and just back from Israel. You got back from Israel yesterday. That's right, yesterday morning after a whirlwind trip of about thirty-six hours. I can only imagine how exhausted you were and how emotional it must have been with all the goings on. I got your morning email, mm. and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it, Rabbi. We also have to talk about rainbows because this week's Torah portion gives us the rainbow, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The book of the, the uh, readings on Noah. Um, families in Phoenix affected in Israel. This is also very close. Uh, I don't want to say the names wrong. Is it Rachel or Rachel Malka Vaknin? Mm-hmm. A widowed right. mother who lost her only children. You want to say a word That's about that? That's right, her? yeah. So... As you mentioned, I was in Israel this week, and uh, my goal was to visit, of course, my son who serves in the IDF and his unit and as many soldiers as possible. Uh, goal number two was to visit evacuees who were forced out of their home after the terrorist attacks last week in the Gaza border, and their future remains un- unknown. They are living in hotels dispersed. My uh, third goal was to visit Shiva homes. Shiva is the term that uh, Jews use for mourning after a person you, lo- loses his loved one, he has to sit shiva, which means that he has to sit for seven days, not leave the home, and mourn. And they then have visitors and uh, different types of people who come and, and share their wishes. That was goal three. And goal four was to visit all of the injured soldiers and civilians in uh, the hospitals of Israel who, were, uh, who risked their lives, really, for the defense of everything that is good in this world. And um, many of them have months and months of physical therapy and recovery ahead. So one of the people that I did uh, go and visit who was sitting Shiva, as we mentioned, who was mourning, was a heroic widow whose name is Rachel Maka Vaknin, who lost both of her children, her only children. They were twins. Osher, Osher and Michael. That's know. right, Osher and Michael Vaknin. Who they were actually, at the music festival. That's right. Not only were they at the musical festival, but they were the producers mm. of, the, of the music festival. And they were murdered by these evil terrorists. And uh, this widow, as I'm trying to comfort her, 
tells me, look, I am left alone in this world. My husband died a few years ago. Now both of my children died. I have no reason to live. Um, and then she paused and she pointed to the crowd. And let me tell you, that's one of the most beautiful things about Israel and about the Jewish nation in general, that in times of pain and suffering, we come together, united as one. And she pointed to the crowd and she says, I have nothing to live for, but when I see all these people, most of them I don't even know, but when I see them coming to comfort me, I know that I have something to live for, and that's my people and my nation. Something about, I think it's Psalm 133. Hinei Martov, mm-hmm. yes. That's correct. Yeah. That's right. How good and how pleasant it is to see brothers and sisters dwelling together. Yeah, under, under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. The Baptist sisters, right. one of whose yeah. is named Ortal, mm-hmm. murdered in front of the other's eyes. That's correct. Yeah, two sisters whom I visited too, who lost their sister. She was murdered in front of their eyes, but uh, the story is even more tragic. One of the sisters not only lost this sister, Ortal, but her fiancé was also murdered in mm. front of her eyes. Mm. She, too, was injured. And, in fact, when we came to visit her, she had bandages on her knees, on her arms. When we asked her what happened, she said, not only did they murder my two precious, most precious people in life, my sister and my fiancé, but they even shot me and injured me I was bleeding almost uncontrollably. I managed to somehow take care of myself, run away, and hide in the forest for four hours until an IDF soldier found me and evacuated me and brought me to the hospital. This is incomprehensible to me, Rabbi, that um, one of the people I think you visited uh, who lost her son uh, was 29 years old. Mm -hmm. Aviel. Aviel. Mm -hmm. And she is thanking God for the 29 years she had with him. Right. That was just the most inspiring moment during my trip. Here I am trying to bring comfort to parents and siblings that lost their son slash brother, Aviel, who, by the way, was the fiancé right. of, of one of the uh, Baptists. The sister right. of Ortal. Right. That's correct. And she says, look, I know you came to strengthen me, but really I have nothing in my heart but gratitude to God for giving me this gift of a son for the past 29 years. So as much as you are trying to comfort me, let me strengthen you and tell you that there is a God in this world who gives us gifts, and instead of focusing on that which we do not have, let's focus on that which we do have and celebrate those precious gifts. This is the kind of thing where the theological and theoretical is proven by the actual, because this is the kind of thing you counsel all the time to mourners, I suppose. I I, I think we have talked about versions of this on the show, Rabbi, but in the theoretical and in the theological realms, not the actual, where we should be thankful for the things we do have, not the things we don't or the things we've lost. And this woman was representing it in actual time, in actual way. She was the epitome of it. I, I shared some pictures in my emails but and on Facebook and so on, but you can see the light that emanates from her face. You can see a smile that is just so radiant that it melts your heart and fortifies you. 
And um, she I, enjoyed every day. She lived every day to its fullest, the she, way you counsel. Obviously, every, that's how you appreciate his 29 years on earth and not the 70 that he didn't make it. That's right. And, you know, we spoke further. I didn't write everything, yeah. of course, on paper. It's impossible to write everything on paper. But she then went on to tell us that she's a kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. And she's raised all of these children that are now adults, parents who are in the front lines. And she says to me that, look, I know that when I'm a kindergarten teacher, I'm like a gardener. I try and water those seeds and I give them my best. And any garden knows that there's something that is under your control and there are some things that are not under your control. It's up to God up to the weather that God decides and many other factors. And she says, look, I did what I could, not just with my child, but with every child that comes my way. And then God decides to do whatever he wants to do. But I have faith and I have gratitude and that's all. To have that kind of faith is amazing. And God forbid we should ever have to be tested that way. Mm. I presume what you saw in Israel amongst the population generally uh, was uh, a, one of the rare moments of, of great unity, I presume. Mm-hmm. Not just great Those unity. The stories I've heard, yeah. Right, but not, not just great unity, but I would even s- go even further. What I saw was oneness. Mm-hmm. Oneness of heart, oneness of spirit, oneness of soul. I'll tell you this, just as an example, and I saw this everywhere. Like we said, there were hundreds of people who would come and comfort those mourners, hundreds of people who came to visit the injured, even though they they don't know any one of them. But what touched me the most is when I went to my son's army base, where I met him, outside of the army base, there were restaurant owners who set up tents to prepare shawarma for free for the the soldiers. There were physical therapists who were giving massages to the soldiers Anything outside for free. Yeah. Anything people could offer, they came and offered just out of pure oneness. Yeah. That touched me profoundly. Yeah. My guess is, uh, with no special knowledge uh, and with extra prayers for your son, who is uh, a paratrooper in the Israeli Defense Forces, my sense is the mood is going to change substantially over the next couple of weeks, and everyone needs to steel themselves for that. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. We'll talk a little bit about that when we come back. I also want to talk about the portion of the week, Noah. Uh, and I want to talk about this morning period, Shiva, seven days, because there's another related word about seven blessings mm. on the opposite, the bipolar uh, attitude of life, that the bipolar approach to life that we are given here. We'll do it all with Rabbi Alush when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts and head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, on Shea, House of Prayer. You had mentioned this morning period of seven days in Judaism, Rabbi, known as Shiva. Shiva is, uh, connotes the word seven. And when you said it, I couldn't help but think of the polarities of the world, because the other thing people think of, perhaps sometimes a cognate word, is sheva, as in brachas, as in blessings that you do when people get married. Yes, this mm-hmm. is the polarity of the world. Something about seven is a very important number, I suppose. I don't need, I don't mean for you to have to go into all of that. Right. But there are these polarities in this world. There are, and almost every... Blessings Happy, and curses. That's if you right. Yeah. Every blessing has a curse that yeah. is parallel to it, right. and vice versa, of course. And I think that this is God's way of teaching us that even when we mourn, we should have hope 
for a better future because it will come. And even when we're happy, we should not forget the pain in the world so that we can pray for it to end and we can attach ourselves to it and uh, try and do everything in our power to eradicate it. The email you sent this morning that had the stories that we were talking about uh, I'll give you the opportunity if there's anything you wanted to say from your observance in Israel uh, from your last trip that you didn't put in the email. But also, can anyone subscribe to these emails? Yes. They're really quite yes. welcoming. No, thank you so much. So first of all, I post them on my Facebook page. Oh, okay. So go to Rabbi Elush. Uh, Rabbi Elush on Facebook. Yeah, okay. Uh, but I also you know, welcome you to visit my our, our synagogue's website where you can subscribe to the newsletter. Right. And that's cbtaz.org. Thank right. you for that plug. You betcha. cbtaz.org. Congregation Beth Tefillahaz.org. Anything you didn't put in here, I'm sure a million things, but anything to especially to share with the audience? There are many, many, many things. I didn't focus too much on the evacuees. Yeah. I said that I went to visit them. I will tell you what shocked me was oh, many things, but two main points. One was that we met 140 families who, again, were evacuated from the village. But we met mainly the women and the children. Why? Because the men were called to serve as reservists in the army. And you can tell just by looking at their faces that they they have much angst in their heart, not just because they were just evacuated, but to top that off because their loved ones are not there with them. They are on the front, front lines. That's number one. And the second highlight was I have to tell you that I was so moved by the children, especially, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the children were there continuing to somehow learn in these makeshift schools that were established in the hotels for them. But uh, they were there with smiles, with happy faces. And they were one of the children, in fact, told me that, you know what, I am happy today because I have my teacher, I have my mother, Mm -hmm. I have... And it goes back to that point that I think that's one of the main things we can learn from children altogether. That children do focus on what they have, mm-hmm. not on what they don't have. Mm-hmm. And that brought me a lot of strength. I wonder, too, if there's an element of we become somewhat um, – in life generally, in every country, in any culture, we become somewhat uh, numb or used to the – we become complacent about our existence and everything tends to become a routine that we don't think too deeply about the blessings in our lives, and we don't think too deeply about the purpose of our lives, never mind the blessings. People who live in Israel have a generalized purpose that might be a little bit different than if you live, let's say, in Athens, so to speak, or in Kara, maybe. Um, and I'm wondering, too, if these children and these teachers in these schools, at a moment just like this— are reminded a little bit, perhaps, though things are so sad and mournful, at the same time, why they're there. Uh, yes, I think Is that's that possibly a ve- true. A very, very good point, and I th- also think that there's a motive that they have that we too should all learn from, and that is that they know deep inside that the purpose of these evil terrorists yeah. was to sow terror, yeah. fear, to paralyze them. And they are responding in the exact opposite way. I am not going to be paralyzed by your terror, even though it has left many scars. I'm going to respond to death with even more life, to hatred with even more love. That's what I saw in those children. That's what I saw, frankly, all across Israel. And it's nothing but inspiring. We talked last week 
before you went to Israel, Rabbi Elush, a little bit about uh, a comment, I think, of Jonathan Sachs's from Great Britain, uh, chief rabbi of Great Britain, saying that Jewish people are the people of memory, history and memory. And I think we observed a little bit last week, and I think it's eminently more true now, especially with the reporting you're giving us from being in Israel this past week, that most of the Jewish people we see, whether on television, interviewed on television, or uh, that we run into or know or talk to, are a little bit more stoic, a little bit less emotional, quite frankly, than um, the non-Jews who are so sympathetic to what has taken place, who are much easier brought to tears, seemingly much more emotional about what took place. And I'm just wondering if it's a little bit of what you were just describing in the Jewish people, but I'm also wondering if that memory history thing that Rabbi Sachs was talking about isn't also a result of this kind of being nothing new to the Jewish people who have learned to live. This is not new to the Jewish people. Someone said the other day the Jews are being accused of being settlers. What country would they not be settlers in? The Jews are being accused of being colonists. What country wanted them, and what country were they colonizing on behalf of? The story of the Jewish people is the story of October 7th, Um, the story of you know, the last 10 or 15 or 20 years is aberrational, not right. common to the Jewish people. Right. I wonder if there's some of that. There, there is. You know, one of the great novelists in Israel is a man named Amos Oz. And he yeah, writes, Oz, right. yeah, and he writes that it's quite fascinating because in the 1930s, before the Holocaust, before the state of Israel was established, many anti-Semites said to the Jews in Europe, we don't want you here. Right. And then we eventually moved to Israel, and again, they tell us, we don't want you here. And he so beautifully and so poignantly summarized that, look, they do not want us to be there. They do not want us to be here. They do not want us to be, Be. period. That's that's the truth that we have faced for 2,000 years. But what is amazing, and perhaps what epitomizes the spirit we spoke about, uh, are the Holocaust survivors? Yeah. Many of them I saw lost saw right, lost everything in life, and yet they were dedicated to rebuilding themselves again and again and again, to the point that they didn't even want to speak about the Holocaust story right. because they were so focused on rebuilding, right. epitomizing this Jewish idea that the best response to destruction is construction. Yeah, the best response to terror is action of the, uh, actions of love and actions. Of uh, that, that again embody this Am Israel spirit. That might be a perfect segue to the story of Noah, which mm. is the portion of the week, and the idea of being able to begin the world again. Maybe we can pick up on that on sure. the other side of this break. I'm Seth Liebson. Did you do that deliberately? It's a really perfect se- I'm <laughs> Seth Liebson. He's <laughs> Rabbi Elush. by you, Seth. A L L O U C H E, host of the Rabbi Elush podcast. Five minutes a week, it'll change your life. Uh, he and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Seth. Delighted, privileged, honored to have Rabbi Pinchas Alush in studio with us. Just a tremendous pillar of this community or any community he steps foot in. He just came back from Israel. Head rabbi at uh, Congregation Beth Tefillah, cbtaz.org, where you can also subscribe to his weekly emails, which uh, come into your uh, mailbox every Friday morning. You were talking about renewal um, and... Every week, as we discuss here, Rabbi, there's a 
Torah portion portion of the Bible that is read in synagogue on Saturday mornings. Uh, this week it will be the story of Noah. Mm-hmm. People know the flood. They know the ark. They know something about the creation of rainbows. But really, one of the main stories to be drawn out of it is this notion that Noah helps recreate the world. And, you know, we were talking about from ashes to life in the previous segment. Not all life is to perish in the flood, um, because there is, I guess, in God's plan, the point that he needs to recreate the world. Mm. Right. And it's interesting because— you know, if you follow the verses and God's commandments to Noah, when the flood comes, he tells Noah, that's it. It's time to go into the ark. Right. And then Noah, as we all know, stays in the ark. He eventually sends uh, a raven first and then the dove to make sure that it's safe for him to leave the ark. When it's pretty much safe, he could have left. Yeah. But instead, he waits for God's commandment to tell him, Tseminateva, come out of the ark. Well, Noah, if you knew it was safe, why didn't you come out? Why you and your you family can leave, right. I think, God and, and, says. Yeah, yes. but why did you have to right. wait for God's commandment right. to leave? You know it's safe. Just right. step out and leave. Right. Why did God have to come and tell him? Maybe because Noah was getting a little bit too comfortable. Yeah. And in a way, God was telling Noah and all of us in all generations. Go to it. Don't, don't stay in your little ox. Yeah. Don't sink in your bubbles. Our task as human beings is to go out of our ox, build this world, better this world, and make it grow, which is what eventually Noah does. He leaves the ark uh, by the commandment of God, and he builds a vineyard. Mm -hmm. Because as we just mentioned, the best response to destruction is construction. And the vineyard that he builds, it's interesting, because the contrast between Noah and Abraham, Noah's, what, about 10 generations removed from Abraham, give or take? Or or exactly, I'm not sure which, somewhere in there. It is, that's what it says also. And and yet there is a different idea of who the role models should be, right? It's not at the end of the day Noah, but it is Abraham. Mm -hmm. One argued with God on behalf of people and one did not, as I understand it. Noah did not. That's correct. I mean, if if, if we want to go even further into this, I would say that the ultimate role model is Moses. Okay. Because you have Noah, you have Abraham, and you have Moses. Noah did not argue with God. Right. In fact— On behalf of the human race. That's correct. Right. When God said, uh, I'll destroy this race or this, this planet, yeah. he didn't say anything. Right. He just let it happen. Uh, even though he was given 120 years to go and uh, make people uh, return to God and so on. But okay. So he's certainly not a model. Then you have Abraham. Mm-hmm. When Abraham is told by God, I will destroy this evil city of Sodom, Abraham stands at the gates of the city and he says, please don't destroy it. In condition that we have some 50 righteous people and then it goes down to 45 and 40 and 30 and so on and so forth. When God does not find any righteous people in the city of Sodom, so Abraham almost gives up and he says, you know what? Then this city almost deserves to be destroyed. So he did protest with God but only in condition that there are righteous people. Moses, he's standing on Mount Sinai, and God says, your people have sinned with the sin of the golden calf. Moses doesn't say, well, maybe there are some righteous people. Not only does he protest God, but he says to God, you either accept them as they are, or you erase me from your books. That's the ultimate leader, a leader that is so committed to his people that he's willing to not just battle with his people, but even to die with his people. We talked last week totally irrelevant to this week's portion of the story of Noah. We talked about role models and good people. 
And I said that a friend of mine once told me some people are put on this earth to show us uh, what not to do. And I think that is one of the lessons we draw from this. Noah may have been one of those people in some respects, what not to do, at least after, <laughs> after. And right. maybe in not arguing with God on behalf of the people, maybe. That, that's correct. I, I think mean, he's the first drunk in the Bible. He is. He is. And look, understandably so. <laughs> right. Who couldn't use a drink after seeing that, right? <laughs> after seeing this terrible destruction. It's, right. it's, he's, right. he's way to cope with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you're right. He's not the ultimate role model. Right. Um, look, he has merits. Yeah. He has merits for standing firm right. and steeped in his principles, even though the entire world was against you. Right. So that's a merit in and of itself. But you're right. He's not... So he's certainly not a model of leadership for us. Not, not the way Abraham or Moses would be considered. I have so much more to talk to you about this. We'll do so on the other side of the break. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Salush, my guest, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. Only five minutes, and you'll listen to him again and again and again that same five minutes because there's so much packed in there. One of the things packed into this week's portion about Noah is in some commentary I was reading is that he helps recreate the world. He is part and parcel of recreating the world. And it put me in mind of something very famous in American history. One of the most quoted and one of the most famous founders of America was a man named Thomas Paine, who wrote uh, a famous book called The Crisis. And there's a quote of his that's very controversial. He says in, uh, in his papers, in his writings, we have it in our power, speaking of the revolution of 1776 here, he says, we have it in our power to begin the world again. And conservative commentators have often said, you know, we really don't. Mm. We don't. And when I was reading Noah, I went back to read the original of what Thomas Paine wrote. It's really interesting. So I'm going to read it to you. Mm. We have it in our power to begin the world over again. A situation similar to the present hath not happened since the days of Noah until now. He was thinking of the exegesis of Noah and beginning the world again. Really interesting, I thought. Very, very, yeah. very interesting. In yeah. many ways, he was right. Yeah. America became yeah. the beacon of light right. for our world, and that's really what Noah tried to achieve yeah. after the destruction of the planet. So, Yes, it's very, very interesting. We do have it in our power. I thought you'd like that. The animals, of course, on the ark. I'm told the fish were never destroyed, that fish don't sin. And we get the Noahide laws brought out from this and other writings about this portion of the Torah, portion of the Bible. Then seven Noahide laws, people who listen to Prager's show listen and know a lot about this. He talks often about it, or callers often talk to him about it, and it's a debate about whether the non-Jews should follow the seven Noahide laws or the Ten Commandments. But it is interesting what you do and where you do get two really important pieces directly from the Bible in Genesis, uh, I believe, 9, uh, about eating uh, the flesh of a living animal with its blood, and of course the importance of taking not taking an innocent life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the right. prohibitions on murder and the dietary laws we get from this, yes? Right. That's correct. A- at a minimum. And in a way, if we think about this, really, these laws stand at the very foundation of any functional and maybe even healthy society. When we recognize that everyone has it, the image of God and a purpose to live, 
and therefore dare we not destroy any type of life. And we recognize that everything that God has created altogether is there for a purpose, including animals, including uh, fish, and so on. Uh, then we can start really building a society that not only has respect for one another, but it also has respect for God that then becomes the center of such a society. The seven laws, I'll run through them real quickly. Uh, correct me if I have yes. them wrong. I, I, I have it. I'm cheating here. Um, setting up courts of justice. Uh, this is important for humanity and civil society. Um, uh, no idolatry, no, no worshiping of idols, uh, no blasphemy. Uh, sexual immorality, uh, the bloodshed of the innocent, uh, no robbery, no theft, thievery, and of course the dietary, uh, the kindness to animals, I suppose, is how one might think of it. That's correct. And again, what they all have in common is respect for human life, respect for life altogether, but above all, respect for all of God's creation, therefore God himself. And knowing what it means to be human, from which we get the word humane, so as we wrap up, Rabbi, just comment, if you will, what you saw this past trip and visit to Israel, what you know of your son's task and the people you who were mourning that you comforted and the people that you witnessed and helped. And then, of course, what we learned from Noah. One of the things that struck me most in watching the news is not the people who were protesting politically against Israel. I've always understood that. What I couldn't understand were the people who said what happened didn't happen. And I don't know if you saw any of that. Maybe you were blessed not to have to see this while you were in the news, while you were in Israel. Maybe you were blessed to not have to witness 19, 20, 30-year-olds saying it's propaganda. No one was slaughtered. No one was murdered. This is all one big lie. What do you have to say about that? Right. Well, I can tell you firsthand the greatest violation to those seven archive laws happened during these terror attacks uh-huh. where not only murder occurred, but I would call it pure savagery. My own son, who's in the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, was called on day one on that cursed Saturday, October 7th, to help out his brothers and sisters who were in harm's way. When he came, not only were they terrorists shooting at everyone, massacring everyone, But thereafter, the day after, he was asked also to go from village to village in the Gaza border and uh, clean those homes from any potential threats, any potential terrorists, and at the same time find Jews who were hiding in those homes in fear of those terrorists and evacuate them. The scenes he described to me just this past week are unimaginable. And he's 20. I mean, think of what he had to say. And not to frighten your audience, but just to give you a clear picture. He saw babies shot in the crib. He saw decapitated women on the floor. If that's not evil, I don't know what, 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 what evil is. Uh, but it also really emphasizes the point that we all have to know and make, and that is that this is not a war against two sides. Mm-hmm. This is a war of good against evil, people who seek death and people who seek life. And I have no doubt, after seeing the united spirit of the nation of Israel and altogether of all the good people in the world that we will win this war. Goodness will prevail. And yes, all those who truly choose life, as Deuteronomy says, will triumph. And maybe of those who deny for whatever twisted purposes the reality of what happened, of them we can say they too were put here 
to show us what not to do hmm. and show us how not to behave and show us who not to be. We have to go, Rabbi. Tell the audience your son's name one more time so they can keep him in their thoughts well, and thank prayers. Thank you. I really appreciate that. His full name is Israel Mordechai Chaim, the son of Esther. May we hear good news from him, from all good people in the world, and may uh, goodness prevail. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. Uh, they are good people. They're great people. I know them well. And in fact, they're headquartered here locally. They offer you to uh, stop by any time during business hours to get to know them or see them or meet them as well. They're on Scottsdale Road and 101. Uh, if you uh, are more inclined to visit them out online or check them out by telephone, uh, investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or you can call them at 888-YREFI24. That's 888 888- why refi 24 they have a investment in a portfolio and that investment is not correlated to the stock market or the federal reserve you can turn your monthly income on or off compound it whatever you like with no penalty if you need your money money back at any time it's a secure and collateralized portfolio with no fees and you can earn up to a 10.25 percent rate of return that's right a 10 and a quarter percent fixed rate of return check them out again at yrefi.com or at 888-YREFI24, 888-YREFI24. Uh, we've had you running around a lot today, David. Thanks for doing so. We've all been running around a lot today. Um, it was worried about in a speech of Winston Churchill's 1941 to the Canadian Parliament, it was worried about that England would have her neck wrung by the Germans. And he was told by fellow parliamentarians, England will have her neck wrung like a chicken. Neck wrung like a chicken. He said to the Canadian Parliament after they saw the force of Great Britain in response to what the Nazis had started to try and do to England, he said, some chicken... Some neck, some chicken, some neck. Well, let's just hope that the parallels are very much the same. Tom Paine, as I was quoting to Rabbi Alush in his appendix to Common Sense, said, We have it in our power to begin the world again. A situation similar to the present hath not happened since the days of Noah until now. The birthday of a new world is at hand, and a race of men perhaps as numerous as all Europe contains are to receive their portion of freedom from the events of a few months. The reflection is awful, and in this point of view, how trifling, how ridiculous do the little paltry cavillings of a few weak or interested men appear when weighted against the business of the world. This world does have grave business in fighting off what it was forced to see couple of weeks ago, a couple of Saturdays ago. A lot of business. Let's get to it, and let's be serious, and let's end the moral depravity as much as the moral blindness. That's our task. It's all of our tasks. Until Monday, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson. On behalf of Bill, David, and everyone else here, class is dismissed. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.